good to be here tonight. Amen. We have a few visitors here tonight. It's great to see everybody in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. We're delighted you're here, and uh, I certainly am glad to be here with all of you. And it's just been just been a whirlwind, kind of a last couple days for me. Can I just be honest? I feel like I could take a nap right now. Is that all right? Hallelujah. There's sometimes I just feel like I could tear the mask off the devil and run the aisles. But right now I feel like I could just go home and go to bed. Uh, my wife and I got in late, late, late. I think I'd turn the light out almost 2 o'clock. And... Um, an incredible last three days was, I'll talk a little bit about that here in just a second. Anyway, it's great to be here tonight. You don't want to miss Sunday. Sunday, brother and sister Tim Haddon from Portland are going to be here with us. We're going to have a great time in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yes. And I would be, I would be remiss if I did not say something about our national quiz champions and... Now I don't I don't want to steal any thunder from Brother Carlos. Were you gonna were you gonna want to do something on Sunday, Brother Carlos? I'm sorry? There's no thunder left. Okay. Well I wanna tell you, I wanna say publicly, brother and sister Chavez, you're you're far beyond. You went far beyond. Far beyond. Far beyond. And uh, I'm trying to think how I want to say what I, what I want to say. But uh, we've been doing this now for, what, seven years? Give or take. Give or take about seven years. And I have noticed over the last seven years that there's a couple little rocky spots getting closer to nationals. And uh, Brother Carlos understands what I'm talking about. But I want to tell you, y'all came through with flying colors on the wings of eagles. And Brother Nathaniel Sacpopo, where is he? I don't know what to say about him. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I appreciate the genuine humility that, that these quizzers have, but I want to tell you, you guys have. You've glorified God. You've, you've made Cornerstone proud, and it's just a tremendous thing. We'll talk more about that on Sunday or whenever he wants to do the presentations is when we'll do that. Amen. I want to draw your attention to a uh, passage of Scripture tonight. Second uh, Peter chapter 3. While you're turning there, for all of you that 
I'm wondering where 2 Peter is. It's on page 787. Or if you have the revised Harley-Davidson edition Bible, it's on page 5. Yes, I think the pastor's got a new trip. He's going to be tripping on that one a little bit. All right. 2 Peter chapter 3, very important passage. And uh, while in prayer this morning, just felt, just really felt like we need to talk about this. Let me encourage all of you to bring your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, but you want one, okay? If you don't have a Bible, but you want one, I want you to see me immediately after church, and we'll get you a Bible. And uh, nobody should be without a Bible. Whatever it takes, we're going to get you one. And when you get it, bring it every service. Oh, that's kind of weak. Don't, don't trust a Bible on an iPhone. I don't trust iPhone to do nothing. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse number 7. The Apostle Peter is not very eschatological, but he is here. Verse number 7, he said, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire. Look at the, look at the language that's being used here about the end of the world. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Ladies and gentlemen, this used to strike heart, fear in the hearts of congregations, regardless of your background. And I want to tell you, this is a reality, and we're closer than we've ever been to this. Verse number eight, but beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. Now that's, what this is saying is, God is not like a man that is going to say he's going to do something. You know how people are, yeah, I'm going to do this, and it never comes to pass. When God says it, When God says it, see, that's the difference, is that there actually are some people that believe that. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, Brother Clark, do not, do not use the title that I put on that piece of paper. I'm revising my title. Making Repentance Your Friend. If there's one thing that you need to become familiar with, if you're going to make heaven your home, you're going to have to make repentance your friend. Let's pray. Father, we love you, praise you. Thank God for all these wonderful people here tonight. Spirit of God, the Word of God.
glorious things that you have in store for us individually and corporately. Pray that you talk to us, move among us, touch those that are sick in body, weak. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All right, where's my friend in the wheelchair? Tell him I said hi. Okay. Tell everybody I said hi. I don't know of another passage of Scripture that is so descriptive about the end of the world. And you can put that, we're not talking about end time prophecy or eschatology tonight. So you are welcome to put that wherever you think it belongs, but it doesn't really matter because this is at the end. And only God determines when the end is. But it continues, look at verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. How loud of a noise is that going to make? And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Ladies and gentlemen, that is going to happen. We're not trying to scare you. Well, maybe we are. Scare the foolishness out of you. But I want to focus um, for a few minutes tonight, and I really do mean a few minutes, on verse number 9. And the Bible says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Everybody said us. The writer, of course, is the Apostle Peter. This is written in a general epistle. The general epistles were not church-specific like Corinthians, Ephesians, so on and so forth. This one is to be read in all churches. And he is already qualifying this as being for us. Right in the midst of this incredible end time scenario where things are going to melt, there's going to be loud noises that cannot even be comprehended in our finite minds far beyond our imagination to even picture a scenario like this. And in the middle of this, at the, at the nucleus of this particular passage of Scripture that is unusual for Peter, he says that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He's, it's like He's waiting. If I, could, if I could take, if I could extrapolate this, he has delayed, if I could put it that way. He is not forgetful. He is not slack. He is not irresponsible. He has not lost a list of his responsibilities 
theologically speaking, but the Bible says that he is long-suffering towards us. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you and me. Not willing that any should perish. Now, through the last several centuries, there's been some theologians that have used that particular scripture to talk about the world. That's not what that's talking about. The world is going to be burned up with fervent heat. He is delaying his coming for the church. Not willing that any should perish. That's talking about people in the church. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know. Pastor, that's not talking about me. Well, I don't know about that. You know, the more I read this book and the more I dig in and delve in, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be melodramatic or anything. I'm just, I'm just trying to talk to you tonight. But the more that I read this, the more stringent the requirements appear to me. It is a gross danger of contemporary denominationalism to take a few broad scriptures that describe the wide gate and say we're all going to make it. Listen, when it comes to your salvation, don't you trust anybody? Don't you trust? You need to get in this book and find out what this book. This is the only document that talks about everlasting life, eternal life, walking on a street of gold, walking with Jesus, sitting in his throne. Oh, clap your hands and give God the break. I did not get in this to miss it. I didn't get in this to mess up. I didn't get in this to play a game. I didn't get in this to get what I want. I didn't get in this. I want to go to heaven. I want to live forever. I want to see Jesus. Let's give him praise. I know you feel that way. Let's praise it. You can make it. I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad you've messed up. You can make it. God has made a way that every human being can make it. Amen. One of the things that greatly concerns me as a spiritual practitioner is that I'm starting to hear a lot of ministry, and it's just, I'm not, I'm not devaluing it. I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just saying that I am hearing more than I've ever heard about ministry that is addressing how people, how people feel. And I'm not, I, I want to, I preach a message of that, that there's a time for that. There's a time for everything under the sun. But, Previous generations of apostolic people sank their roots deep in not how we feel, but in the authority and the everlasting conclusion of the Word of God. And if we're not careful in this end time hour, we will become so intoxicated with how we feel, and I've got to fix how I feel. And if you don't understand that that is a uh, a dilemma in our culture. I'm doing a whole deal on this. It wasn't until 
At the turn of the previous century, 80% of Americans lived in rural areas. Only 20% of Americans lived in metropolitan areas. And as soon as the factories and, and the industrial age began to wind up, and people moved off the farms and began to move into the metropolitan areas, and, and cities were not just places of industry, but cities also became places of pastime and fun and entertainment. And with this entire experience that's part of American and Western civilization history, this is an amazing reality. You need to listen to me right now. That there were diseases that came into being that never existed before people began to dwell in metropolitan areas. You will hear part of this again because I'm putting something together that I'll be preaching in the near future because this fascinates me. But the very first two social diseases is what they first called them was anorexia and bulimia. They were eating disorders. Psychologically, they were defined as eating disorders that plagued women that never existed before. But what happened is when people began to come together in metropolitan areas and they began to produce early movies and fashion and entertainment, it started to glorify the human figure to where it, it became so reinforced through advertisement and so reinforced through our culture about, we, we've got a whole, we talk about racial prejudice. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a prejudice in our world today where people will look at you and just judge you automatically by how, well, your appearance. Has nothing about the color of your skin. These kind of things are being manufactured. The devil is manufacturing these things in our culture as quickly as he can. I want to tell you, when you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and empowered with the power of the Holy Ghost, you are delivered from the spirit of this world. You are delivered from what people... Oh, clap your hands and give God the praise. Yes. I pers this, is just, this is not a doctrinal statement. It's just me. But I personally believe that what you're seeing with the transgenderism is part of the same, it's, it's part of the same thing that started with anorexia and believe me, it, it, it was like a social disorder as soon as Satan could manipulate the minds of people and he could reinforce it with culture. And it affects everything from what people eat to what they wear to how they perceive themselves. They look in the mirror. It, 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 determines, it determines eternities. It determines how they live, how they perceive themselves. I want to tell you it is of the devil. Get inside the word of God and find out that God loves you. God will save you. God will empower you. God will break every shackle. God will break every. Somebody help me out tonight. God will completely liberate you from the spirit of this world. But you got to be willing to be liberated. You can't hang on to the shards of that after God has completely shattered that in your life. You cannot hang on to the shards of that and expect that to identify you any longer. It doesn't represent you anymore. 
you have to take on the identity of Jesus Christ. If you don't, it'll obfuscate the process that God wants to bring in your life to bring everything to conclusion in your life that he has planned for you. This identity deal is a huge deal. And, and there's too many people that are identifying with shards. I call them a shard because they're, they're busted by the power of God. And we can still pick up that and say that's still something I identify with. And in reality, you don't. You need to identify with the church. Such were some of you. I don't do that anymore. I don't walk with that. Somebody help me out tonight. My God, this is what I'm talking about. We're living in a world, give me what I need. I need to feel better. Give me a pill. Give me a placebo. You need the power and the demonstration of the almighty God. If I'll take him up in the fellowship of his sufferings, I will go back and appreciate the glory of the resurrection. And that is the rhythm of New Testament living, is the sacrifice of the cross and the resurrection and exaltation of the infilling of redemptive lift in the Holy Ghost. Let's lift our hands and give him praise. God's trying to minister to somebody even right now. Come on, lay down those shards. You're going to pick it up and God's just going to have to work on you to get rid of it so that you can move on down the road. And, and the longer you hang on to it, you're just wasting time. Lest the Holy Ghost can process you to become the new creature in Christ. Now, how in the world did I get off on all that? Like I said, I'm tired. I'm very tired. But I'm very excited. Can't you tell? very excited about all this stuff because it's reality. Hallelujah. A Holy Ghost filled child of God should not have an image problem. And it only means that we are, we are ignorant, not, not stupid. Ignorant is not necessarily a negative word. It just means that we're uninformed. When you find out who you are in Christ, you're going to let go of all the other little things you got that's been propping you up, our little, our little image things. And someone say, praise the Lord. Well, I got off on that because I'm hearing as a practitioner, as an, as a, as an elder, it's hard for me to look at myself as an elder. But the reality of it is I have to accept that because it's reality. I'm 64 years old. I've been saved over 35 years now. And God expects me to move into these things as a vanguard if need be. And there's a lot of ministry throughout our world that is looking for all kinds of, and I'm not, again, I'm not denigrating. All of it has, has its place. But I want to tell you, regardless of how you feel, regardless of whether whether you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or God has allowed the devil to, put a th to be a thorn in your life to produce something else in your life. been let down over a wall in a basket because his own countrymen have been taking a vow to kill him. 
He's already stood before some leaders. He's preached. He's been in prison. He's done all kinds of stuff. And in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, here is the most mature human prototype of being an apostolic. And God is allowing the devil to afflict him. Are you all with me? I can, I can go slower. But my fear is if I go slower, I'm going to fall asleep. So I have to go fast to keep myself stimulated. See, God's trying to do finishing touches on some of us before we get out of here. Because on the other side of eternity, there's no go back. See, we're so used to go back. Oh, look, man, I got, I got another letter that says I ain't got no money in the bank. Problem is, I got five checkbooks. So I'll just keep writing them. Don't you dare. It's a horrible witness. Oh, that went over. We're so used to getting a second chance. When you step across, my wife and I just came back from a funeral where it just, everybody was just in shock. I mean, it was just like, you don't know what to say. You don't know how to feel. It's just, you're trying to get through it. Everybody's trying to get through it. 54-year-old man that was, I love this man. My wife's cousin from Sacramento, he was in the church when I got saved. I've known him ever, from the very first day I was saved, I've known that man. And he was on his way to work last week. And an 18-wheeler coming the opposite direction had a tire that failed, had a blowout. And the truck came over into his lane and there was a head-on collision. He was instantly killed. You just never know when it's your time. We can sit here and where we have our mind has already been shaped and molded and our thinking and our thoughts and how we feel and our love for God and our intentional realities and we got plans and I got to do this and I want to do that. We all have that. But the bottom line is, is that nobody really knows. I mean, here's a man that got up and went to work just like every other day. He's got three absolutely gorgeous children. Beautiful wife. Plans. Buy a home. Well loved in the church. Just a day like any other day. Gets into the car, going to work to feed his family. And the human tendency is to say why, but we all know that God's ways are above our ways. And these things are far beyond human com comprehension. I want us to just lift our hands. And I'm not going to preach real long tonight, but i got to talk about some things because we, the Lord is delaying because he's long-suffering towards us. 
And I thank him for that. He, he sees things that we don't see. He, he knows things we don't know. He, he sees the beginning to the end. He sees everything in between. He sees the nuances. He sees, he sees things that I'm not even focused on in my life that I need to deal with. I mean, we can sit here all smug and say, well, I'm fine. Everything's going good. I, da, 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 da. And, and I, I'm not really criticizing that, except that I, I don't want to see myself as I see myself. I, 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 I want to be in touch with how God sees me. If God sees something in me, God, let me repent. Oh, somebody needs to help me over here. If, if, if there's something in my life that could, that could hinder my even making it to heaven, my God, let something happen so I can hit an altar and I can be saved. I've got to go to heaven. And honey, if that's not how you feel, you need to be delivered. We need to be delivered by of our own selves that's so insecure and hung up on these things. God blast us out of that so that we can have a walk with God. Clap your hands and give him praise. No candy bars to steal and hide under your pillar. Man, if one of my brothers or sisters had a candy bar or something, man, they weren't. You had to be the slave to get that. Repentance is the most enduring message in the Word of God. most fundamental foundational human responsibility in the Bible is to repent. Please go to Matthew chapter 3, Brother Clark. This is just, just the New Testament. Just We don't have time to go through the entirety of 66 books, but Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Next verse. And saying, repent. Now you have to understand something. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter number 19, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everything that God is working in the earth is through a promise. That's why it's so important for every single child of God to get close enough to God to get a promise from God. Because when God brings forth that promise, that is the testimony of Jesus. That he's still alive. He's still working. He's still bringing things to pass. Let me show you how this works. There were 430 silence years, years of silence. 
that mirrored the 430 years that the nation of Israel was in Egyptian bondage. They were in Egyptian bondage by prophecy. That was a prophecy that was originally given to Abraham in Genesis chapter number 15 and reiterated in Genesis chapter number 17. The fact that Joseph had ended up as the second in command, God already had him on on site being prepared for the people that were going to come was by prophecy. Everything operates on prophecy, not eschatology, which is end time prophecy, but prophecy that God makes as a promise that is designed to have a human carrier. God does not do anything in this world without having a human counterpart. Come here, Brother Daniel. Look at this guy. Just got back from peak. He's a mean machine. Now, those are cat calls, and we ought not have them in the house of God. Okay, now listen. God gives you a promise. You are like a runner. And as you walk every day of your life, God is going to bring that promise to pass. Stop. It comes to pass, and then God gives you another promise. And now you walk, now you're 30, 40, you're married, you have children, you love the pastor. Stop. I've just lumped that in there. That actually, you love the pastor now. Okay. But now God fulfills that promise. Now he's got a prophecy for you when you're, you're 50 and your, your grandkids are going to be saved and, and you're going to be a great asset to the church. Okay, and then God fulfills that. Da, 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 da. Okay, you can go be seated. Thank you. Let's give him a hand. See, you're never going to find the direction that you desperately need for your life until you get that prophecy. And the good news is God's got one for you. God is not just rationing this out to several people and the rest of you are just going to have to make do. No, but you have to get close enough to God. Jacob, you might even have to wrestle. But if you do, you'll get your prophecy. Let me show you how this works. All right, 430 silent years between the last prophet Malachi and the angel shows up in Matthew chapter number one. 430 years. John the Baptist is born to Elizabeth. That was the fulfillment of a prophecy. He will make the high places low. He will bring the low places up. He will make a highway for the, next, the man coming after him. One prophecy brought John the Baptist. Then Jesus was born, and he arrived here by prophecy. Unto us a child shall be born. Every prophecy is connected. And so... Okay, John the Baptist did th his thing, that prophecy is done. Jesus lived for 33 and a half years, that prophecy is done. They're in an upper room praying. Peter stands up and says, this was spoken by the prophet Joel. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Everything. God's going to give you a wife. God's going to give you a man. But you've got to walk according to the prophecy and let God bring it to pass. Clap your hands and give God the praise. You can't be shifting around. You can't be looking other places. Where's Brother Anderson? Oh, there he is. 
you were standing up. If you'll get a prophecy, church will never be boring. See, Cornerstone, give me a chance, Deb, because I believe in this stuff. I mean, I'm here by prophecy. I mean, I'm doing what I'm doing by prophecy. I didn't just wake up one day and say, man, I'd like to be a pastor. Are you kidding me? You got rocks in your box. I am fulfilling something that God spoke to me. If God told you your son is going to be saved, you don't, you don't care what the devil says. You don't care what the human being says. You don't care what it says on the calendar. You don't care what it says in the mirror. You don't, my God, this thing is operating by prophecy. Come on, clap your hands and give God the praise. Pastor, I don't have a prophecy. You just hang on. You're going to get one. It might be while, while the pastor's preaching. It might be while an evangelist is preaching. God's going to connect something into your spirit that is going to go far beyond the pablum of your daily life. In which that's the reason why a lot of people backslide is they never get deep enough spiritually to really find out, man, there's something to this. They think they, they haven't traded. They haven't, they haven't traded at the table of their inner man that there's really something here. And it goes far beyond my daily life. It goes far beyond just going through the motions and I'm going to be here Tuesday, I'm going to be here Wednesday, I'm going to do little, 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 little. very first, last message in the Old Testament was to repent. You're all a bunch of robbers of God. The first message in the New Testament was repent. The first message, go to the very next scripture. That was the message of John the Baptist. Go to the one that's in, I believe it's in Matthew 4 or 3, Brother Clark. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Next verse. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. Verse 12, please. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is ex that's the exact same message that John the Baptist had. Repent. Repent. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse number 38. This is the apostles. Then Peter said unto them, right over here, wake up. John the Baptist, repent. All these, this is all a fulfillment of prophecy. Repent, 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 repent. The message of the church, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, every single one of the churches, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ to the seven churches of Asia Minor, every single one of them except two. Repent. Well, I don't have anything to repent over. That's dangerous. That's exactly why Peter said that he is delaying his coming. I'm, and I'm paraphrasing this so that we can understand a little better. It was written in 
King James vernacular. Let me, let me bring it up to speed a little bit. Jesus has delayed his coming for our sake. Not wanting anybody not to make it. So see what happens when you come to church, you can't just sit there at the same level you've always been because you're only going to see yourself the way you've always seen yourself. What you need to do is when the ministry of the Word of God and the Spirit of God that began in the prayer room and allow that to create an environment that you can see yourself. Pastor, I got this problem. I just can't seem what to do about it. But in the service, your eyes are opened and you realize God is here to heal me. God is here to deliver me. God is here to set me free. God, forgive me for smoking. God, forgive me for drinking. God, forgive me for being an addict. God, forgive me for doing that. God, forgive me for lying. God, forgive me for being dishonest. God, deliver me of anything that can keep me out of living with you forever. Clap your hands and give him praise. Brother Chris, wake up. Okay. You know, to the pure, all things are pure. To the tired, everybody's tired. Y'all need to wake up. I'm just. By the time we got to Dallas, I said, you're not going to make your next flight. Don't even get on. God's with you in those fields. Everything in your walk with God is undergirded with repentance. How do I make repentance my plan? Just realize that you're not perfect. And you ain't never going to be perfect. And that's my, my definition of that is not God's definition that you will be perfect and entire. That means that you're going to be whole. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that we have the capabilities to act out of character. I'm almost done. What does repentance mean? It means to change your mind. It means to think afterwards like, you're thinking about something that you've already done, and you're thinking, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that way. Do you know how many times your pastor has said that? I didn't just come in out of the world, and somebody hit me with a little magic wand in the, in the altar, and I fell down, and I woke up, and I came up with a halo, and I was glowing. No, this is here a little, there a little, in the prayer room, in the altar, in revival. Come on, somebody. We're on a journey. We're on a journey. But I, I may not be everything I'm, I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Somebody clap your hand. Devil, you might have had yesterday, but you ain't going to have tonight. You ain't going to eolabakatai. Devil, you can rehearse my mistakes, but I'm here to get it right and keep it right. Hallelujah. 
you get the revelation that the church, I need the church. The church is not just some place to hang out. Why I go to church tonight? Because nothing good's on television. What you need to do is <clears throat> A, unplug. B, honey, lift. C, put out in alley. D, call waste management. E, go back in your house. And F, have a prayer meeting. You know, I think I'm going to take a lap. I'm not that tired. Come on, somebody. This is not about flesh. It's about the Holy Ghost. Man, even the elder took a lap. You're not going to let the elder run, are you? Some of you are feeling guilty and you're looking guilty, but hallelujah. Well, I ain't got nothing to run in the, the aisles over. That's the problem. You're only seeing what the, what the last 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, 96 hours has put into you. What you need to realize is that book says what that book says. What that book says. That is reality. And God is the master of reality. Oh, let's take a moment and clap our hands and give God the praise. All right. Repentance is making a choice to change. It is a God-given opportunity to change. And if you wanted to just distill it and compress it, and bring it all the way down and, and, and look at its, its individual parts through a microscope. You would see that the only difference between us and other people is this group repented and this group did not repent. There's nothing special about us. We, we, we have no, we probably have six or seven ethnic, maybe even more than that, ethnic backgrounds here tonight. We all come from different neighborhoods. We all come from different parts of the country. We all come from different backgrounds. Some of us come from the hood. We all come from, what's the one thing that brings us all together? We repented. We were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. We were filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. I need to get back up here because I'll go faster. Hallelujah. Repentance is a God-given opportunity to change. It is a gift from God. I thank God for repentance. 
when you consider the alternative of not being able to repent, it is haunting. And, and you have no idea how many times I've heard somebody say, Pastor, I know I'm doing wrong and I can't stop. Baloney. Baloney. Find you an altar. Have a prayer meeting for longer than five or ten minutes. Quit walking around and get on your face on the floor. Thank God for repentance. Make repentance your friend. It is a gift from God. When you've done wrong, thoughts, actions, words, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Second Corinthians chapter 7. The reality, now we're going to talk about the emotion of repentance, and it does have an emotion. but that you sorrowed to repentance. God forgive me. That's not true. You cannot remove, if I understand this, this passage correctly, you cannot remove repentance from sorrow. forgive somebody 490 times in one day, will God forgive you twice in the same day? Three times in the same day? You better believe he'll, as long as you come back to God and say, God, I don't want to do this. There's something at work in my flesh and I'm coming against it. I'm rebelling against it, but I've got to have your power. I've got to have you have to rebel against your own nature and say, you are not going to take me to hell. I'm going to take you to heaven. Fine job, but he left it anyway. Another disobedient cadet. Just kidding. He's a he's a good young man. I should not do this. I think I'll go home now. One more point to make. Thank you for putting up with all this. I really am trying to get this across, but I really felt like there's somebody here tonight that needs to repent. When God gives a man a message, that's not just some 
frivolous and pulling it out of the thousands of messages from some Charles Spurgeon library. When you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is God. I don't care if it's brother. And I've, I've been getting great reports about Brother Jordan Oswald. I'm so glad to hear that. No, we're here to produce preachers. We're here to produce people that love the work of God. And some of you will listen to me. God will be able to fulfill his promise to you. See, because after you get the promise, then there's a process. promise, Joseph, is just to cheer you up and let you know that there's going to be an awesome, exhilarating ending. But you got to endure the pit. You got to endure brethren that turn against you. You got to endure Potiphar twice before Buchan and Keith came. You got to you got to endure 20 years of prison. Joseph would have never been the man on location without a prophecy from God. And, and there's a lot of fickility and, and a lot of, there, there's a, a lot of people are fickle in the 21st century um, when it comes to the process. And when you talk about process, what process basically is, if I could, if I could compress it down to one statement, it would be, God's trying to get the me out so he can move in on a way deeper level where it affects character, content, commitment, consistency. Y'all still out there? Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Coming down the home stretch. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. The apostle had to give them, he had to rebuke the Corinthian church, and he brought them to a place of repentance. Verse number eight, please, or ten, please. Watch this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Since we don't believe, because it really is genuinely a fabricated Reformation era doctrine, which is once saved, always saved, you would be very accurate by saying, I was saved, I am saved, I shall be saved, if I continue to repent to salvation. See, here's here's the deal. Come here, Andrew. I'm... I'm just using a lot of people tonight. Now, this is another specimen of masculinity, chiseled. Not no more. Listen, I'll do the talking, okay? Listen. Okay, this is John Doe. He just got saved. Brother John, we're glad you're here. Um, you need to start going to New Converts course, New Beginnings class, because that will help you understand spiritual DNA and all the things that God has for you at this level. He has no comprehension 
about why he has done or given himself to denial, distraction, addictions. Maybe he was insecure. Maybe, maybe his mom and dad raised him with a shame-based um, parenting style, and he was raised to be insecure. I'm just making this up. You're none of this stuff. Better not be. But he just knows, okay, I'm, I'm saved now. I shouldn't smoke. I shouldn't drink. I shouldn't. You don't understand that those things are connected to things on a completely different. I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. I'm feeling a kick in right now. You may be seated because I don't want you to stand up here forever. People are looking for all kinds of psychiatric and psych psychological reasons. I'm going to tell you why people are doing what they're doing is that they have been wounded as human beings. And oftentimes in our childhood, we learned over overcompensated or we completely suppress or repress things. And we repress it to the level that now I'm an addict. And now I'm, I'm addicted for a whole other reason that I actually started, so I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, what happens when you're processed is God takes you like the rings of a tree. He takes you deeper and deeper and deeper. And every trial you go through, that's not intended to drive you away. That's intended to drive you to the, to the physician. And then when you find him, he rakes back the covering and he shows you this is why you did this. And your eyes are open. You say, I'm making a choice. I'm never doing that again. You just repented. And then God shows you why you're doing this. And you say, I'm never doing that again. You just repented. And when you come through this, you will be a new creature in Christ. But we're living in a generation that they don't want any pain. They don't want an operation. They don't want process. Possible. It is impossible for you to experience lasting, dynamical, real change without letting God process you. And he cannot process you from the outside in. He will process you from the inside out. Because when we receive Christ, the hope of glory, as the carpenter's son, he looks around and says, all right, this wall's going and this foundation's coming up. And this is going out, and this is going out, and he turns a haunted house into the temple of the Holy Ghost. Clap your hands and give God the praise. But you got to do it God's way and God's time, and you got to do it when it's your turn. You got to realize that's God. He's calling me to a deeper level so that I can be changed forever. That's repentance. is not this beautiful building. Cornerstone is a dimension in which week after week we've already escaped critical mass and we have form where we, we come together, we're all beaming, making incremental, in some, in some cases, microscopic, in other cases, they're macro, addictions. It's like, I gotta get rid of it. I can't live like this anymore. I can't live with this person anymore. It's against the word of God. I can't do this. I can't do that. Those addictions. 
just posturing yourself so God can do the real changes. The real changes. Man, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. I feel it. Let's lift our hands. God loves you. God sees you not as a failure and not as flawed. But God sees you what you can become if you'll allow him. Because he has begun a good work. We'll continue it until the day of his appearing. But he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Knowing that we need to come to repentance. Some of my deepest Most memorable prayer meetings has been far beyond the sanctuary, far beyond human eyes, but was in a place where I could be just absolutely, absolute transparent with all my flaws, all my shortcomings. Oh, pastor, you don't have any of those. Oh. Trust me. Repentance is not God convincing you how bad you are. Repentance is you agreeing with God of where you're really at. Surface Pentecost is a dime a dozen. surface congregations that have given up on prophecy and process have given up on revival they're all going to ball games given up on giving their best to God they look just like the world you can't even make any no distinction whatsoever anymore they've given up they become bored with the lack of the dynamics not willing that any should perish. Real quickly here, there's a distinction in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. What is worldly sorrow? Oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I don't want anybody. And, and these are natural. These are natural things. And we all have this. We all have the proclivity to have worldly sorrow. But what's godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is God, I hurt you. I hurt my relationship with you. Godly sorrow is the pathway of genuine repentance. Jesus, help us tonight, God. Make repentance your friend. You have nothing to fear. Nothing to be afraid of. This is a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing. It's a gift from God. You got to be kidding me. David, 
David, the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. Four chapters earlier, he says, I'm living in a house of cedars and God's living in a tent. I think I'll build him a house. Four chapters later, after God said he's going to build him a house and establish his throne forever. The greatest prophecy ever given to a mortal, even, even greater and more enduring than the prophecy given to Abraham, was the prophecy that God gave to David. Because the very first thing that Gabriel said to Mary was, God's getting ready to bring him that's going to sit on David's throne. Getting ready to show you something. David commits two capital offenses that would have had any other human being that was a Jew put to death immediately. He committed adultery and he killed an innocent man. Murder. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. He lied, deceit. Nothing smarter than covering a lie with a lie. Nathan the prophet comes to David and said, Thou art the man. David said, You're kidding. Two capital offenses. David said this, Listen, I've sinned against the Lord. God has put away your sin. You will not die. I already let the cat out of the bag. David was not allowed to build the house, but his prophecy lived forever. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. There are some prophecies that are greater than your failure. And when Gabriel talked to Mary, he said, the one that's coming is going to sit on David's throne. Church at Philadelphia, where David was a man of blood, Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. And Jesus said, I got the key of David. That's a whole other message. It'll blow your mind, I hope. I've sinned against the Lord. David really meant it. Psalm 51 is considered by many to be the greatest psalm in the entirety of the Word of God, even eclipsing out Psalm 23. Create in me a clean heart. You know how many times I prayed that? As a pastor? I can't believe that the pastor prays that. Ladies and gentlemen, repentance is my friend. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Then will I convert sinners and backsliders will be turned unto thee. David gave purpose to his repentance. Because you got to repent or we're, we're going to throw you away. Whoever started that nonsense? Whoever said that if you really mess up big time, that God's going to throw you away, the church is going to throw you away, we're going to beat you with a drum, take the ball out of your hands and say you're done. That is false doctrine. No, you've got an experience now that you can help other people. We're not about to throw you away. 
You've got an experience with grace. You understand, oh, come on, somebody help me out. Clap your hands and give God the praise. We ain't throwing nobody away. But you got to repent. Let's stand. Lift our hands. Making repentance your friend. Let's sing a song. This altar's open. Your vanity is not God, this is just what I needed tonight. Thank you. I might not get very far with the lights on and people all around me, but I'm going to take this to my closet. And I'm going to say, oh God, pardon mine iniquity for it is great. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. altars open. Maybe if you could just come and pray with somebody, that'd be great too, because there's people here to seek God. 